everyone, welcome to another Crowdlinker Fireside Chat. I'm Aram Mukumuf, the host. Thanks so much for tuning in. On this show, I'm interviewing innovation leaders who are working on big industry disruptive problems from within large organizations. My guests have been in the trenches and have seen it all and have practical advice to share about building quality digital products, staying agile and fostering an innovation culture within your organization. This is episode number 10, and I'm here with Husam Ayad to talk about implementing open innovation. A little background on Husam is one of the leading figures behind Canada's innovation ecosystem. With a notable track record, Husam dedicated his efforts over the last decade to building public private corporate partnerships that facilitated the rise of Canada's startup ecosystem and enabled various successful industry disruptors. His transformational work led DMZ to become world-renowned and led Communitech to become a hub of choice for open innovation for global household names such as Microsoft, Toyota, and Panasonic. Most recently, he was the founding managing director of We Scale Up, a purpose-driven accelerator that propelled high-impact entrepreneurs who are solving the world's most complex problems and addressing its fastest-growing markets to become investment-ready and scale their ventures growth globally. Prior to doing so, Hussam spent the first decade of his career building successful businesses. Most notably, he led Algero Can Canadian Metals, an international company he co-founded in 2006 to massive revenue and workforce growth. So Husam, it's amazing to have you on our podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me around. It's great to see you again. Likewise. Um, first question I, I have for you, um, well, really it's, it's for you to kind of touch upon your history and work to date, but you know, you've done a lot of transformational change in Canada's uh, ecosystem for startups, you know, with all the work you did at the DMZ and Communitech. Um, I'm personally curious, and I'm sure like the listeners are going to be curious as well, is how did you kind of get into this? It's kind of like a very unique path. Like what made you decide to go um, down uh, this angle in, in your career? It's a good question uh, around because to be honest, I often think about it um, and, uh, and, and I often, you know, think about why I ended up, you know, spending that much time and effort sort of building founder centric environments. And, and, and to be honest, you know, I think, you know, the best answer I could, I could reach was that it's more personal than professional, you know, to me. Um, when I built uh, my, my, my two companies, one of which was Azure Canadian Metals, which you mentioned, you know, that was a 70 million revenue dollar business or 70, 70 million dollar revenue business. Uh, um, so, so really the, 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 the scale at which we operated was massive, uh, but the pain that we had to go through, um, you know, as co-founders starting this operation from zero to one was, was, was really massive as well. Like we had to go through a lot to actually build um, yeah, reputable international operation. And we had zero support. Um, coming back to the Canadian tech ecosystem and, and, you know, and, and coming back from, a, from an ecosystem like North Africa, where um, just the, the, the playing field is very different. I was amazed by the level of support that I was seeing on the rise in Ontario. Um, and that was inspiring. That was really motivational. Like I, I, it, it was too good to be true. For me to see that there's a lot of funding and there's a lot of resources being dedicated to supporting founders um but as a founder myself or as a former founder myself 
I always obviously and 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 we all believe this in the tech ecosystem. You know, we're always iterating. You know, there are always better ways to do things. Um, I felt that we could always do things a lot better, um, and so so it was just a perfect confluence of factors. You know, I I got into the opportunity where I could um, you know coach some entrepreneurs at, at Communitech and. That became uh, sort of a, 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 a bigger um, and, a, and, a, and a job with more responsibilities, where I, you know, started putting them in the room with uh, um, with big brands uh, like some of the brands that you mentioned, um, and um, and and you know that became a, a group of open innovation programs, and then all of a sudden I found myself, uh, um, you know, thinking a lot more seriously about building teams to support entrepreneurs and building operations to support entrepreneurs. So. Uh, it was pretty organic. Um, uh, today, it's very personal to me. Um, I feel like it's one of the best things that you can actually do. Um, you know, get paid um, to 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 support others, to create a lot of economic and social value. I think it's incredible, and I love doing it. Nice, awesome. And uh, what's what's on the horizon for you uh, going forward? Um, a couple of things, um, and it's just a bit hard for me to share at this point. Um, um, okay. So I'll just keep it at that. Uh, but I'm actually really excited, you know, about the prospect of sharing that with you once I'm able to. Nice. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to learning more about where you're going next. <laughs> One thing though, um, it's going to be in the ecosystem. It's going to be in the tech ecosystem, you know, not too nice, far. Nice. Yeah. nice. Good. Well, that'd be great. I think for the entire community to know Thank that. <laughs> um, first question I have for you, uh, is you've, um, You've been doing open innovation for a long time, and you know, for different people, it's a it's a big word, multiple different definitions or, or perspectives that people have of what that really is. Yeah. How I mean, you have a lot of experience in this. How do you personally define what it is um, and its significance and importance? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question because the timing of this question. You know, we're seeing innovation become such a hot commodity and everybody's talking about innovation in general. Um, and I think, you know, innovation in general, before talking about innovation, such a broad term. Um, but really, it, 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 boils, it boils down to, uh, you know, a mix of different things. Um, and, and, and the way I think about it um, is, and, and I don't think there's a, there's a right definition for what innovation is. But I think there is a right definition for open innovation is because it was a term that was coined by someone and we'll get to that. But innovation really ends up being a mix, mix of creativity, um, invention, commercialization, um, and basically just taking creation to the next level uh, or to the next level. And it could happen in different forms. It could happen in different settings in different environments. Now, open innovation was a term that was actually coined by Professor um, Henry Chesbrough of uh, UC Berkeley. And really the whole idea behind the term of open innovation, and he actually has a very specific um, you know, definition for it. He calls it you know, the use of purpose, the purpose of um, inflows and outflows of knowledge to basically accelerate internal innovation and to expand markets for external use of innovation. And it sounds like a very fancy definition, but what it really boils down to is you are accepting and understanding that you don't have a monopoly in all the smart brains in the world. You are accepting and understanding that not all the smart people work for you. Um, and therefore you go out of your environment to basically look at what others are doing 
and try to basically um, use an open, uh, I would say, dialogue uh, with these different players in ecosystems around you, whether you're a larger corporate um, or whether you're basically uh, even a smaller organization, um, and try to create these natural inflows between you and the larger ecosystem to actually, uh, uh, you know, build something that is a lot more progressive. And I'll give you, um, you know, a bit of data, uh, um, and I'll actually use some of the data that he uses in his book and, and, and a lot of his lectures because I think it's really profound. So in 1981, you know, according to the, uh, to the National Science Foundation of the United States, in 1981, um, R&D funding was, uh, uh, um, or the majority of R&D funding, 73% of R&D funding or, or, or funds spent on R&D was spent by companies uh, um, that are over the size of 25,000. And about, you know, only one to 2% was spent by what you and I call startups and scale-ups, which is companies under 1,000. Fast forward to 2015, and I actually looked up the updated data yesterday, and 2015 is the latest I could find. The numbers pretty much switch. So you're looking at, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, 37% uh, um, of the, the R&D is actually being done, uh, uh, um, you know, by organizations of over 25,000 and around 36% um, is done by startups oh. and scale-ups. Um, so it's not really a switch, but it's a profound change. And really what this means, Aram, is that today we are living in a much more level playing field and the access to knowledge is profound and is at an all-time high to basically anybody it doesn't mean it doesn't matter how large you are it doesn't matter how big your pockets are it doesn't matter how well established you are as an organization you know today the level uh, the, the the playing field is very leveled and you pretty yeah, much yeah. have the, the same resources that you know two two very well knowledgeable founders in certain areas in a garage have to actually create and build something new and of course um you know factor in all the resources that you and i know and that a lot of our viewers know um, about basically the cost of innovating, you know, the ability for you to start a business and, and, and just put it online and just, you know, turn on a couple of turnkey solutions like cloud services and, and others to actually get going as a business. It's profound. You know, we, we've never had access to, to resources such as that. Yeah. But also something that is that, that has been fueling open innovation has been venture capital. And venture capital today, and I don't think we, we need to argue about that, but the amount of capital today and the cost of capital in the market is, is at an all-time low. Um, so the amount of, you know, venture capital that is out there, you know, is incredible. And, and, the, amount of, and the amount of development that it funds, let's, let's remove R from the equation. It's no longer R&D, it's mostly development. The amount of development that it actually funds is also an all-time high. So, so the landscape has completely changed. And that's why the big players right now um, stopped the whole idea of, um, of basically closed innovation, which is, you know, sort of one way in, one way out, sort of you, you, you sit in a closed lab, you know, like Bell, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'll give you a practical example. So Bell Labs, you know, invented the transistor in 1956. Um, and it, it took them about 10 years to take it to market. You know, while, you know, the, the, the post-World War uh, uh, startup, um, Japanese startup Sony was actually using the first transistor. Um, Bell Lab, who actually invented that transistor, took about uh, um, you know, 10 years to commercialize it. So invention and innovation are not the same. You know? And today we're seeing a lot more of innovation 
And now the companies of the size of Bell are understanding, okay, or, or Bell Labs or organizations of that size are understanding that we don't have to do everything internal. You know, we can open up to the world and we can create different streams of innovations. And that, that's what incubators and accelerators are embodying um, a lot. They're being natural conveners for that. And that's what we've been doing. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that, that goes above and beyond. <laughs> that's a big question. That's amazing, thank you. Um, the next question I have is about how do you actually, how do you actually set out an agenda for open innovation? So like assume you're a large organization or an enterprise and you know, imagine that you don't have an innovation department yet, right? How should they go about thinking of having one and where do they even start for that matter? Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I think, I think, you know, different organizations, so to start with, I think different organizations have different definitions of, of, of the term innovation in general, you know, before they consider the different techniques and strategies that they should do to tap into different innovative, uh, you know, solutions in the marketplace. Um, I think you got to really try to understand what does innovation mean to you um, as an organization, because you could be in a, in a very different industry. Um, and, and, you know, you could be in retail innovation can mean something very different to you than, than financial services. I think it really boils down, um, uh, you know, to you, um, you know, asking yourself a very honest question and, and, and that question should be, you know, as an organization today, where we are in the market and where we are with respect to our competitors, and especially if we're a larger organization, how do we want to advance? How do we want to move forward? How do we want to create an economic moat? How do we want to create a competitive advantage? How do we want to be different? You know, and, and really these series of questions and sub questions, you know, lead to one core question. And, and really, you know, th this core question that we're really trying to get to is, you know, how does your innovation funnel look like? Or how does the funnel, you know, where ideas are generated and processed and turned into something meaningful, how does it look like today? How do you process these ideas? You know, when, when you're sitting in a, in a in a board room as a leadership team, you know, who generates those ideas? How do you hear about them? Does somebody around the table usually come up with these ideas and it was kind of baked with their teams and, and then you guys, you know, go ahead with, you know, with sort of aligning all the resources that they need to actually move this idea forward? Um, or is it usually uh, dictated uh, uh, um, uh, by another department or is it usually a collaborative effort that, that actually, uh, um, uh, you know, is, is undertaken by, by the whole leadership team. That's if you're a larger organization, if you're a smaller organization, I think the answer to this question should be a lot simpler, but it really boils down, you know, when you want to start, uh, um, you know, thinking about innovation, it really boils down to understanding how does your innovation funnel look like in its most basic form. Mm -hmm. In terms of like, an effective way of uh, looking at innovation. Do it does it come? I don't know. Say from the executive leadership team that you know they set up the mandate to start really focusing on innovation as a priority. Do budgets need to be assigned accordingly to be set up for success? How do you think they could kind of align their business with some of these goals? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, again, like, I think this varies from organization to another. Um, like, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I look at it from the outside to try to answer your question. Um, uh, because I've seen different organizations doing it differently. 
um, you know, some organizations are, for example, super profitable. You know, they're making, you know, their core business is still making a lot of money. They don't see innovation as a priority because they see innovation as this avenue um, to basically give them an edge over their competitors. Um, and they don't feel the need to basically feed that avenue. Um, and with that said, you know, you go look at their, their annual reports, um, you don't even see it, you know, in their budgets. Um, you see it, if you actually read the fine print and if you actually read the details, you'll find it under marketing activities. Um, so sometimes a lot of the larger organizations um, think, of, think, of, think of innovation as a communication exercise to just tell the world, hey, listen, or tell our shareholders, you know, we understand buzzwords, we understand what machine learning and AI is about. Um, and, 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 you know, in reality, most of the people don't, um, uh, but, but really the whole idea is, uh, uh, you know, it ends up being communication exercise and it doesn't end up being something that is truly integrated into all aspects of your business. Um, on the other hand, you go look at businesses that have been completely disrupted, you know, and without mentioning any names, but businesses in the retail sector, for example, that are really questioning their value proposition or their existence as an entity today and, and, and the form that they're in. And they're asking themselves, like, how do we actually become a truly differentiated organization? And these are the organizations where, that, that really have to sit down together as a leadership team and put together an innovation strategy. And to say it to you in a more um, sort of, or in less fancy way, let's you know forget about strategy. Let's just think of it as a plan. You know, What's the plan for us to actually become a more innovative organization? What are the what are the milestones that we need to accomplish? Um, uh, you know, let's look at our business operation in general, from top to bottom. You know, from the way we basically uh, uh, you know reach our customers or approach our customers or learn about our customers, to basically uh, uh, um, you know uh, uh, the, the way we process their orders, the way we become a more lean operation, the way we become more cost effective. Let's look at every aspect of the business and let's look at how we can become. Um, sort of a lot more efficient, uh, you know, as an organization. How can we, how can we basically use um, technology and 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 innovative, uh, um, uh, basically solutions out there and these different aspects of businesses to actually make us a much more efficient operation and organization. And you know, a lot of times you see a lot of organizations coming with serious innovation strategies. You see even um, them, you know, uh, sharing it with their shareholders in annual shareholder meetings, and saying this is how we're going to go about approaching this market, you know, or, or this is differently. Sometimes, you know, CEOs go as far as, as saying, listen, this is gonna take a serious, you know, kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, hit on our, on our P&L, but we truly believe that this is gonna take our company in a very different direction. So there are really different ways about going about innovation, but it really boils down to you sitting with your team and asking yourself a very honest question. What is it that we're doing today? How do we advance forward? How does the plan look like? And then how do we align the right resources to actually make that happen? And then when it comes to actual execution, you know, you got to look at different ways to do it. Um, you either build your own teams and your own, you know, personnel, if you don't have anything in existence, um, you know, today and you say, listen, we're going to take the closed innovation approach and we're going to do our own things inside and, and just surprise the world like Apple does. And I think Apple has every right to do so because Apple has innovation and invention at the core of its business model. But if you're, for example, uh, you know, a, a retail business or if you're a financial services business, I doubt that you want to take this approach. You probably want to look for an innovation partner. And this is where yeah. you can start looking to partners in the ecosystem, you know, like DMZ, like Communitech, like Plug and Play Center and, and you know, Silicon Valley, which has tremendous success and track record with open innovation. And say, hey, listen, we want you as a partner to help us access the ecosystem 
and see what ideas and inventions are out there to make us reach our plan faster. Mm -hmm. All right, some interesting segues we could go there. I, I, one, the one I have is innovation can be tackled also through partnerships, through yeah. strategic, you know, um, uh, partnerships with startups. That's some. That's one way that some enterprises uh, diversify their their innovation um, strategies. What, being the expert in Canada, right, <laughs> with the DMZ and Communitech, what what have you seen as like the best way for enterprises to really engage with startups? Like I don't know whether it's pitch competitions, funding external ideas, in partnership with startups as like POCs or open forums, how do you select the right one as an enterprise for your business? Yeah, you know, it, it usually is different from one organization to another, um, but it usually ends up being a mix of activities. You know, it's usually not one thing that you should do. Um, what we've seen um, and what I've seen personally between different organizations, you know, between my work with Communitech, my work with DMZ, you know, my work as a you know lecturer in Rockman School of Management at the University of Toronto and and also Ryerson, uh, you know, engineering, you know, is, is, is usually a lot of these organizations um, and enterprises want to tap into different pockets of talent um, and they want to usually do it very differently. Um, so, but, 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 it, but it really, and, and this is really, if you want to visualize open innovation as a funnel, um, and if you want to go back to Henry, uh, you know, Chesbro's sort of definition, not to get too theoretical, but I love the way he describes the funnel. He looks at it as a funnel and then he, br he brings the traditional funnel, the closed funnel, he critiques it by putting holes in it and then putting arrows into those different holes and saying, that's how we're gonna create different streams from the industry to your innovation funnel as an organization and help you become a lot more effective. So if you actually think of this in practical terms, a lot of organizations like Canadian banks, for example, do this. You know, they, they run different types of events. They, um, you know, they do hackathons where they can meet uh, um, and, and interface and basically spend some 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 intense, you know, 48 um, to basically 50, 56. Or I forgot the, the, the number of hours of hackathons over a weekend with basically very young talent and see how they work and how they develop, uh, um, you know, for example, uh, you know, tech products very, very rapidly in their most basic form. And a lot of times they end up hiring from those events some talent to bring in and innovate internally. Um, some of them go to basically innovation hubs uh, um, like ours and say, hey, listen, we want to run something which, you know, uh, um, we use the term in Communitech for, and then most hubs around Canada now use it in innovation called the Collision Day. You know, we want to we want to basically set up those meetings where we will, you know, really define what is it that we need to solve as a problem. And we want to come and sit down with you and we want you to connect us with some of the curated companies that you have in your ecosystem that can help us solve this problem. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, some of them say we want to fund an accelerator and we want you to, you know, to build that structured program for us that runs over a couple of months and that basically opens a funnel of its own to the world to apply to and to come and, and, and for us to see them progress as an organization, um, you know, during that accelerator period and then decide who we want to bet on. Um, and some accelerators usually actually take a piece of the company before they bring them in. So you look at Techstars they've mastered this model you know corporate accelerators so there are really different ways to do it you know you can do it you know in large public events uh, hackathon like um you know you can do it in, in basically uh, um, community events where you can just interface with people and build relationships with them 
Um, you can do it in accelerators, you can do it in, in, in basically private meetings, but it really boils down to, the success really boils down to one honest answer, you know, to yourself as an organization, as an enterprise, how true am I to my innovation goals? How, uh, is this a communication exercise or am I actually truly trying to find something, uh, um, you know, that makes me, that makes me really change what I'm doing. And I'll use, uh, a financial services organization here without mentioning their name. Um, you know, a few years ago, I noticed they were doing incredible marketing events in the ecosystem. They were spending so much money uh, marketing themselves as a very innovative leader. Um, at first, um, I, I looked at it as very alarming, but the more I started to follow this organization, the more I realized that they've been tapping into and hiring most of the data scientists and engineers I know in the city. Um, and then, you know, they're basically beefing up their, their innovation teams and departments, which they are very well known for, you know. So not only do they have a solid track record with innovation and they really understand what's happening in the game, but they want to stay ahead of the game. So if you're doing that, you know, uh, when you're already ahead of the game, there's nothing wrong with it. But if this is the only thing you do to showcase your shareholders, then I think this should be a red flag for your own organization. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I know which bank that was that did it. Um, so that, it's very interesting. Lots of, um, lots of companies are uh setting out a new agenda and uh, creating some of these initiatives um like also a lot of a lot of uh, aside from banks a lot of cities and even kind of really large players have been opening these innovation spaces as well um some 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 are great some have received some skepticism skepticism uh how how do you you know as a senior corporate innovation professional uh assess or measure an organization's program success? Like, what do you look for in terms of like your end goal? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a difference between assessing, you know, the initiative and there's a difference between assessing the outputs of the initiative. One of the toughest things I've seen personally in innovation is that it's so hard to assess the output. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think leading organizations and very experienced organizations are those that have been doing it for so long that they are at a stage right now where they can assess output and they can say, you know, this is how we look at output and this is how we assess it. And we actually have very fine KPIs for it that help us see if we progressed, you know, in dollars, you know, per spend, um, at, you know, as an organization. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to, to how do you assess output, but what I can tell you is output is not always the, the, the best indicator, um, of, of you doing something right in the short term. You know, a lot of times you could be, um, you know, burning a lot of cash, you know, in short term activities, um, if you have the ability to do so. And then a lot of it can pay, uh, um, you know, can, can, can basically pay, pay off um, years down the road. And we've seen that happen with the pandemic. You know, a lot of companies who actually, um, you know, have built products that were not the core of their business have seen tremendous takeoff now that the you know COVID-19 pandemic really changed the way we do work and, and everything. And now all of a sudden they're seeing years of research and innovation in those areas pay off when they didn't expect it to pay off. So the number one thing you look for is output, but it doesn't always have to be positive. The second thing that you usually look for is leadership commitment. You know, again, is it marketing efforts? Is it a communication exercise? Or is it a clearly integrated um, you know, uh, efforts in different aspects of the company's operation, um, you know, to the extent that, you know, 
if you look at their annual reports, you see the fingerprints of the innovation initiatives all over everything they do. So that's how I assess, uh, you know, that uh, basically, you know, as an innovation leader, when I look at these things, um, you know, so the third thing, uh, you know, after a leadership commitment is the experience and the talent, uh, you know, that you are bringing, um, you know, basically to your team of the individuals to your team to run these initiatives, you know, are they individuals that are, you know, interested in the field because everybody's interested in innovation today, you know, or are they in the individuals that, uh, um, you know, are experts at sourcing, at selecting, um, at qualifying basically ideas inwards and outwards, uh, you know, so, so, so really, you know, the, these indicators to, to anybody who's seen sort of a lot of these initiatives from the outside can tell you how serious an organization is, um, you know, about committing, you know, to innovation. I hope that answers your question. And I don't want to sound too cynical here. I think, I think there's a lot of great work that's happening. Uh, but I just think that a lot of time we get lost, you know, spending our energy, um, yeah. not necessarily on the best avenue to actually be productive. And having spent all this time working with multiple different ventures and bridging the gap between startups and enterprises, is there any specific initiatives that you truly believe drive change within an organization? Like you mentioned a bunch, but any ones that really like, okay, those ones have been repeatedly coming out as like the ones that have the best results. I have a bias to, to basically, uh, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the private meetings that we used to set up for companies with senior leadership, uh, uh, um, you know, of, of enterprises and basically founders of, of, of startups, um, which we call collision days more broadly. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we started using the term, you know, with community. Um, but really, uh, you know, the, 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 the thing, you know, or, or, or the reason why I have this bias is because I feel it's an activity that is really hard to, to, to basically, uh, 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 you know, not, not be authentic in your intentions with, uh, um, because you often, you know, one of your conditions when you want to convene, um, you know, those leaders and, and basically the, the founders is you want people that call the shots in the room, you know, and, 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 and when you have the CEO or, you know, uh, uh, basically um, a C-level executive and, 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 and their basically innovation team in the room is not the same as, you know, you having, for example, the PR and marketing team in the room who are trying to put together a press release. And when you have them sit down with founders and these founders, you know, being curated to actually be a seamless solution to the problems that that enterprise has well-defined, the chances of you being successful are much higher. Um, so I'm usually very, if I can use the term bullish on these types of activities um, and, and because I've seen them, you know, being tremendously successful, but, but let, let's just, again, take a step back and think about it. You know, these, these activities, uh, um, you know, um, are, are, you know, you, you can think of accelerators as the same way because accelerators run, but instead of running for a couple of hours, they run for a couple of months. So instead, you know, you have those executives watching these companies and watching these uh, um, sort of founders, uh, um, you know, spend more time, uh, um, you know, in the in in their operation, making business decisions, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, adapting to market changes, and then you can you can assess the fit, you know, personally, professionally, 
you know, as an organization, as a product, you can basically check off a lot more boxes. So again, there's no right answer, but I think these, you know, sort of very hands-on initiatives like accelerators or private meetings or collisions are usually, uh, um, you know, events and initiatives that put everyone's intentions to test, if, if that makes sense. No, it does hundred percent. Thank you. Um, what would you recommend to the founders who are trying to connect or, you know, find opportunities with the enterprises that are, you know, creating these innovation agendas? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I, that I always told a lot of founders, and again, like, you know, it, it also depends on the stage, you know, of company, like we've had companies that were in ideation and we would obviously give heads up to the, you know, to the enterprise say, these founders are really early on in what they're building, uh, but they're super high potential uh, team, uh, you know, and that's why you should meet them and they can probably benefit from meeting you and we should have them on your radar. Um, and, and, and we've had founders that were, you know, millions, sort of millions in, in, in annual revenue already um, come to a room and, and, and speak with enterprises. So it depends on the stage that you're in, but I always tell founders, be honest about the real size of your business. You know, don't come and pretend to be much bigger than you are um, because, you know, this will always, like you being very honest about what you can accomplish is always gonna pay off. And notice I didn't mention, you know, like don't come and be too humble because most of the founders usually in the very early stages, you know, in their nature, and I don't say that in a negative way, you know, I'm very proud of every single founder I brought into a room and put with a sort of large enterprise to actually meet with them. I, I'm, I'm literally proud of every single one of them. Um, but us founders usually naturally, we're very ambitious people. We're very optimistic. We're always thinking big. And you know, there's there, when, when you're talking to corporate leaders, they think about it very differently. There's one question in their head. And if they've done their homework, you know, they better have one question in their head, which is what is in it for me? You know, what is in this for me? Why are you useful? How are you solving my problem? So the more honest you are about what you are and your real size, the faster you will get to a partnership with these leaders. The second thing is protect your IP. You know, uh, um, one thing that I love that we did at Communitech um, is, is, is we created those, what we called, you know, ground uh, or playground rules. You know, I forgot the exact term, but really the, the whole idea of playground rules, you know, Communitech is a great organization um, you know, in terms of freely making sure that, uh, um, you know, everyone is protected around the table. I really the whole idea of, of, of the playground rules is that, you know, you know, for the larger players that you come, please keep in mind, you know, you have much deeper pockets than startups. Um, and also for the startups, you know, always keep in mind that you need to make sure that you're protected when you're talking to bigger players. And it really brought everybody into the room with really good mindset. But still, I would encourage founders to be very protective with their IP and only disclose, you know, uh, sort of sensitive information when the partnership becomes a little bit more serious. And that's a good segue to a third point that I have in mind, which is, as a founder, don't feel inferior to larger enterprises. Understand that you're also doing mutual due diligence on them. Due diligence, and, like they do diligence you. Due diligence, their intentions. Try to understand what is it they're going to do, you know, with your product and solution. Are you, are they, do they look excited about it and, 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 and they want to acquire you, you know, eventually as a threat um, and then, and then shut down your business? 
or are they really excited about you and they're going to acquire you? You're going to become a great avenue of business, uh, um, and, you know, for them and expand uh, their basically reach to markets. So assess their intentions. Um, and really, the last thing that I really want to make sure I, I mention here, um, and maybe 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 two things. Uh, first of all, make sure you get expert advice if you can before these meetings. People who have been in the room, like myself, like yourself, for example, Aram, who have you know interacted with larger enterprises. And the last one is understand that these partnerships take a long time to happen. A lot of people think, you know, today they met with the CEO of this bank. Tomorrow, you know, they're going to meet with the team. And then, you know, next week they're going to run something and, and they're going to go run a pilot and, and POC and in the business. I remember sitting in a, you know, in a, in a, in a, in, in a collision day meeting with one insurance company. And, and, and I remember they mentioned, that they're really excited about one of the startups that just pitched them because a bank is already using them. And I remember the head of, of, of IT and innovation said, what I love about this, which is the equivalent of a CIO said, what I love about this is they've already probably been taxed by a lot of due diligence, you know, with this partner. So we don't have to go through the process again. So even them themselves know, that you know, it takes them eight to ten months to do due diligence. So you should also yeah. know as a founder that it takes time. That's that's some amazing advice. I, I'm going to pass on some of the stuff to some of the founders I work with. A um, couple more questions before, actually, one or two more questions before we jump into the fireside uh, channel. The questions that I like always ending with is: this is more of a personal question for you. Um, you've been doing this a lot, uh, a long time. How do you personally stay competitive? as an innovation leader in your space? I mean, what motivates you? What, where do you go towards expanding your knowledge in the field? Um, any, anything you could share with us so that people can uh, jump on that bandwagon, bandwagon of wisdom of yours? <laughs> to be honest, you know, Aram, I think, I think, you know, I, I, I really don't have, I really don't know the answer to this um, because I think that's, that's part of the game. You know, and that's part of the challenge, and that's and that's what motivates me as an individual, um, is that uh, um, you know you 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 got to understand that that you know what you know is a fraction of a fraction um, of what's really happening in this ocean of innovation, um, and I say ocean because it's really endless. So, and not to get too philosophical here, but really what I'm trying to say is that you need to stay on the top of your game, and and the way you stay on the top of your game is that you should always stay hungry and stay hungry in building your network, stay hungry in basically understanding what's happening in the world, stay, stay hungry in following what's happening, not only in, in, in digital trends and tech, and again, you know, buzzwords like machine learning, AI, and, and, and you know, deep learning, and all this stuff that everybody talks about, but hardly any understand. It's, you know, really understanding what's happening in markets, in larger markets, understanding what's happening in, you know, in the macroeconomic pictures. You know how is the world moving and and now for example one of the buzzwords that a lot of people are busters and a lot of people are talking about is the un sdgs you know un sdgs is, is right left and center for a lot of people to talk about uh, uh and and really a lot of people don't you know in my opinion uh, um you know can think about it more productively when they think about it as a as a general expression of wisdom and just think about it as a blueprint that just helps us think a lot more maturely as as as, as a world population about how we can solve a lot of our problems and continue to be a sustainable, you know, planet, um, decade or decades from now. Um, but we obsess with the terms, um, and, and I think that's usually if you spend your energy 
on, 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 on just trying to follow uh, micro trends. I think as an innovation leader, it'll become very hard for you to stay on the top of things. I, I think you got to think bigger and follow the macro trends and see where the world is usually going. And that's, I think, what helps you understand where to spend most of your time learning new things. So really, it goes down, it goes down to learning. Learning is the key word. Uh, um, I wish I had a, you know, a, a, a more succinct answer for you on what to do in steps. Uh, but this is what I find myself doing. I just try to stay in the game uh, by learning as much as I can. Oh, what do you feel are some of the common, in, common incorrect beliefs around the experimentation mindset? Um, can you be a little bit more elaborate about experimentation? Sure. experimentation so, I mean, exper the experiment experimentation mindset is very much along to like an innovation mindset, um, being able to try new things um, and things like that. But there's a lot of like common mis misbeliefs or common incorrect beliefs about innovation. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I think um, different thoughts, and I'll share with you what comes to mind. I'm, I'm sure, uh, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll probably think of other things later on, but um, for now, um, I think one of the things that we, that we tend to misunderstand is that um, innovation is this, you know, what they call silver bullet, or innovation is this sort of saving pill you know, uh, you ingest it as an organization and all of a sudden, you know, you're different, you're transformed. Uh, I think, I think this, is a, this is a very big misconception that basically usually um, leads a lot of organizations to, to just fail at doing what they do because they don't understand that, that innovation is a lot more than, than an initiative. It's a culture. It's a, a, a it's 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 a it's a it's a new attitude. Um, it's um, a, a, a basically a, a set of beliefs that you have to have your leadership um, and your entire organization, you know, align around, and not only in strategizing but in execution. Not only in planning and showing your annual plans, but actually in your day-to-day, -day, uh, uh, um, you know. Uh, um, you know, exercises as an organization. Yeah. So you and I, I'm sure, have seen no shortage um, of basically uh, uh, legacy organizations that created new open spaces uh, with beautiful Google-like feel, thinking that that's going to solve you know their culture issues. And 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 I'm sure that you know you and I can agree that the majority of those organizations, again, without mentioning their names, did not specifically succeed in that initiative because of that change. So. Innovation is not something that you basically just ingest overnight and changes you and transforms you as an organization. Innovation is a constant, ongoing, never-ending initiative, culture, attitude, thinking, alignment, investment, mental and financial to actually get you to somewhere that, you know, takes time to happen. And it has to be consistent and it has to happen over a very long period of time, relatively, you know, obviously, because arguably innovation life cycles are, 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 are the shortest ever. Time. So if you're spending 10 years doing something and nothing has changed, you're clearly doing something wrong or even in two years. I don't know if that- That's a, uh, That is a perfect answer. <laughs> that's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. Um, 
uh, we're going to jump into the quick fire questions, basically one liner answers. Um, two or three of them I have. Um, I always like doing this at the end because it's like the, the last things people can walk away with. So the first one I have, well, actually, I could maybe do both at the same time is what is something innovation leaders should stop doing right away in their organizations or what should they start doing uh, more of? Hmm. Stop focusing on storytelling and spend more time on action. You know, a lot of innovation yeah. leaders, uh, uh, um, you know, I consistently see and hear about um, uh, uh, in conferences and panels. And, and, and that's awesome and that's amazing. But um, I, just, I just struggle to understand how are you having enough time to actually build a solid core team that is actually really trying to tackle your tough business problems? You know, how do you find the time to be like in a week of, of basically conferences and, and those many innovation panels? So uh, um, choose between showcasing your story and actually, uh, um, you know, doing something uh, uh, innovative for your organization. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with obviously building a public profile and, and being out there, but, you know, uh, uh, be selective. You know, that, 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 that would be my advice. What, what do you think is the most in interesting digital trend uh, that you see taking off uh, in the next few years? Um, you know, I've, I've been really intrigued, um, you know, lately by, you know, what's happening and, and biotech and genomics and, 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 and not to say that I'm an expert in that field or, or that I really, really understand it. Uh, I'm just starting to read more about it, but, you know, to, to answer sort of your question more on, on actual digital trends that I'm that I'm seeing and that are really fascinating for me and that I see very large potential for, I would say, you know, I, I would choose geography first, and I would say uh, uh, emerging markets. You know, I'm looking at emerging markets and I'm seeing um, that there is incredible digitization happening to all their industries and they're able to leapfrog. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the things and a lot of the, 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 the and, and skip a lot of the stages that we had to go through as sort of more developed, uh, um, you know, countries in, in the Western world, let me just say by way of example. Um, so, so, so you look at, for example, uh, uh, you know, uh, regions like um, the Middle East, and North Africa, um, you know, they are solving, you know, some of the biggest problems in financial inclusion and financial services that are really helping them uh, 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 um, uh, you know, really create some of the largest and fastest growing markets in the world. So I'm really fascinated by that. I'm really fascinated mm -hmm. by the digitization of the financial sectors in those countries. And of course, you can plug into uh, 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 crypto there and, and not, not crypto, uh, um, you know, currencies per se. Um, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in that space, but just, you know, the whole idea of obviously um, finally leveraging blockchain in more institutionalized settings um, and, and sort of more serious settings is very intriguing to me. And I think it's going to play a role in that digitization revolution in emerging markets. It's, it's very fascinating. And I think we're going to see a lot of change in those markets. Nice. Okay. Wow. That's great. Um, okay. Uh, Husam, that was, that was amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom with us. And uh, I have no doubt that 
the audience is going to love every bit you said. So thank you again for your time and for participating uh, in our in our series. Um, so for those that are listening, tune in uh, next time for our next innovation professional that we're going to have on our show to hear uh, about some of their insights as well. So thank you once again, Husam. It was great having you. Um, thank you, Ram. Thanks for having me. Well, great to see you and great chatting. Thank you.